First Chronicles chapter 16 is going to be our opening passage of Scripture this evening. First Chronicles chapter 16. Sure is good to see everyone this evening. Linda and I are glad to have safely made it here. That would always be the case. But some of the traffic we drove through today and construction and wrecks, we're especially glad to be here. And um, as we just said, I feel like I brought a lot of folks with me from uh, Alabama. Uh, There's two kinds of people, those that live in Alabama and those that wish they did. (laughs) We're glad you're here. And um, if you're visiting, we're glad you're here. And uh, my wife, Linda, one of our granddaughters, Noel, is here with us. By the way, Noel is Leon spelled backwards on, on purpose. And uh, Johnson family, good to see them and others they brought. Neil, Brooks, and crew, we're just glad to see everyone. I'm looking forward to this series of lessons. This is a subject that is very dear to my heart. I love to preach on the subject of the home and uh, the design that God has in that. And when we, the closer we can be, in having our home as God would have it, you're truly having a taste of heaven on earth. I believe that. So I'm looking forward to the lessons. Tonight's lesson is kind of a foundational lesson for what is to come. We'll be talking about some fundamental things that we will deal with in more particulars in other lessons. But I'll ask you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 43, there's an interesting expression that comes at the end of the chapter where it says David returned to bless his house. Folks hear me say this a lot. Every passage has a context. And the context of First Chronicles 16 and verse 43 is this. David is king. He's king not only over... Hebron, but you also see that David and and the south, but he's now king over all of Israel. Jerusalem has been captured, and so the first thing now David wants to do is to move the Ark of the Covenant that had been at Kiriath-Yerim for years and was neglected in the days of Saul, but uh, now he wants to move it to the new capital. This would be the place that God would cause his name to dwell, Jerusalem. At first, there was a misstep, big time. Instead of following God's ordinances, they had, they had built a, a, a cart, put it on that, and, and it was a disaster for Uzzah in particular who touched it, and, and for David and everybody, it was a disaster. But they went back, and then they, they, they did it as, as God said. By the way, in First Chronicles 15, since you're already at 16, if you go back in verse 13, you'll see that David says, Because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So God cares how we treat his word, and they found out that it was disastrous not to follow that. But so now it has succeeded. They are successful in bringing the ark there, and it's such a happy time. They're praising God. They're uh, Asaph, for example, in verse 5, who's called the chief. And there are several Levites that are, that are mentioned there. And David writes a psalm, and he gives it into the hand of Asaph in verse 7. And I'm not going to take the time to read the, the psalm. 
but it's, it's a psalm of praise and looking back as far as the covenant, verse 16, that, that God made with Abraham and Isaac in verse 17 to Jacob and the land promise, verse 18, and showing how God has fulfilled these promises and now here they are and it's, it's, the theme is that of praising God. Look at verse 29. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. At verse 31, let the heavens rejoice, the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And just verse after verse of this kind of praise. Verse 34, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endures forever. In verse 36, again, that's a, that's a wonderful psalm, and it concludes with verse 36. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Well, it's not just the Levites. All the people are there as well. And last part of verse 36 says, All the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. So it's, it's just incredible rejoicing that the ark has been finally brought to Jerusalem now. And, and it's a fresh beginning. It's, it's just a wonderful time, and everybody's so happy about that. But after that's done, the time comes when you, you go back home and, and, and go on to other things. And so... So you see what happens is, in verse 37, David is leaving Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the Lord. They're going to keep ministering there. They're going to, they're going to be there. And uh, here, here again, the, the, the people have, have been involved in, in the praise and blessing. And finally, though, in verse 43, then all the people departed, every man to his house. And so... Wonderful day of praise. Everybody goes home. And then David goes home. And it could just say David went to his house too. Because in the verse 43 above it says, Then all the people departed every man to his house. But it's noteworthy that it says, And David returned to bless his house. And I thought about how that each of us, as we think in terms of of our activities, we get up, we go to work, there are things we're responsible for. Hopefully at the end of the day we get to come home. I know sometimes people work the night shifts and different shifts, but when, when the work is done, you come back home. And the concept of coming home to bless your house. What a noble goal. To be a blessing. To, to be one who blesses your house. Oftentimes when people come home, they're, they've got so many things on their mind and so distracted they might take their wrath out on people that they're closer to and just bite everybody's head off and do everything except bless their house. So as we begin our study tonight, we want that to be your goal, to be a source of blessing. Every father should have that goal, and every mother. And you young people as well. What you do is very important in setting the atmosphere of your house. Well, let's look at another passage. Let's look at another passage. You know, the Old Testament is not our law, but it's for our learning. You remember what Paul said in Romans 15 and verse 4, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. It's not our law, but it's written for our learning. And so I go back to the book of Ruth in the days of the judges. In fact, if you were to go back to Ruth 1 and verse 1, it's going to start out by saying in the days when the judges ruled. So it, that's the context where this book is found in the days of the judges. We've we backed up before David now. 
And there is a widow named Naomi, who's not only a widow, but she has lost two grown sons. They've died. One of her daughters-in-law's name was Ruth. And this happened while Naomi from Bethlehem was in Moab for a ten-year sojourn with her husband, and all the males died. And so she heard, Naomi heard there's bread in Bethlehem, so she's going back after this famine is over, and Ruth goes with her. And there's a near kinsman, and his name is Boaz, and he's been very kind to Ruth in terms of letting him glean in her fields and providing for her. She's working all right, but he's still very kind to her and because he appreciates how she has treated her mother-in-law. And so when Naomi hears about all this over in Ruth, the third chapter, she asks the question, she says, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? that it may be well with you. Now that's a quotation from the American Standard, the American Standard of 1901. And also that's the wording of the, um, actually, actually, let me, let me back up. That's, that's the wording of the New King James. And I was going to say that the American Standard of 1901 uses the word rest. And in my Bible, in the New King James Version, where it has the little footnote for, to define a word for the word security, it says literally rest. Literally rest. This, this word rest, a resting place, repose, security. Now Naomi could have worded it differently. She could have said, she could have said Ruth, I'd like to help you arrange to get married. She could have said, let me help find a husband for you. Let me help find a way for Boaz to marry you. But she's using this word rest, security. And when you think in terms of the home as God would have it, out in the world we are to give. Out in the world we should be depleted, salt of the earth, light of the world. And so we should be giving of ourselves. There should be draining of our energy and resources. But the inner man has to be renewed day by day. And one of the sources of renewal for that inner man in God's plan is the home. Shall I not find rest for you? Here again, you think in terms of what a lot of homes are, it's not rest at all. It's turmoil. I've heard of people that, that uh, and I've, I've talked to people who have said that they would take on extra work that they did not have to do and, and, and otherwise deliberately just stay away as long as they could because they knew as soon as they got home the turmoil, the fussing, the tension that would be there. God wants it to be a place of where there's encouragement, there's sustenance. It's a place of wellness. Shall I not find security, rest, repose for you? Well, let me look at another passage. I would say, if I were guessing, if I were asking you to guess what passages will he use for the home tonight, you probably wouldn't have thought of 1 Chronicles 16, and you surely wouldn't have thought of Ezekiel chapter 48. But I see lessons there that apply to the home. Now let me tell you about the book of Ezekiel. Again, contextual study demands that we notice that in chapters 40 through 48, nine chapters, as you use the inclusive count there, all of this is the apocalyptic genre of writing. 
In other words, that's the writing that is used, for example, in chapter 7 through 12 of Daniel. It's the kind of writing that appears in the prophet Zechariah. It's the kind of writing that appears in the New Testament book of Revelation. There are four books that, are, that use this highly symbolic, apocalyptic style of writing. And Ezekiel is one of those in these chapters. And so what that means is that you've got all these chapters where it's measuring and, and cubits and, and distance and on it goes and you wonder where, what is he doing with all that? And finally, he saves the best for last. This is what concludes those nine chapters when he says, The name of the city shall be Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is there. And so then it all makes sense. Because he's been describing a temple, he's been describing a city, and it's not a literal temple. It's, it's the temple that, that Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 2 says that U.S. Christians are being built up a holy temple. Uh, it's the temple of God made of living stones, as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2. And so what makes the, the temple he's looking forward to special? What makes the church of the Lord special? It's because Christ is in our midst. If you take Jesus out of the equation, what is the church? It's an empty shell. It's nothing. Well, you think, you think of that on an individual basis. What Paul said in Colossians 1 and verse 27, Christ in you, our hope of glory. So what makes the church a glorious church is Jesus Christ. What makes the individual glorious is when Christ is in you. And what makes our home glorious, if the name of our home is Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is there. And so do you see from these passages some of the, some of the things that we're looking at to be, to be that blessing to our house, for a home to be that place of repose and security and sustenance and building up one another, and for a home above all to be a place where what makes it glorious is that Christ is the very center. The name of that place is the Lord is there. It's his home. He is in our midst. But it's a wonderful thing to say, yes, that's what I want. Yeah, that, that's really what I want. A lot of people say there's nothing that I... I remember one time talking to a young man. He said, Brother Leon, there is nothing that I want more than to have a Christian home and a, a Christian wife and have a Christian home. I said, I'm glad to hear you say that. But I said, the way you're going about things now, you're not ever going to have it. I said, for example, I was getting some gas the other evening. We were about to have services. And I said, I saw you and your girlfriend in the car driving in the opposite direction away from the building. I don't know where you went, but you weren't at services. And those kind of decisions you're making from day to day are not going to get you to where you say you want to be. And so that's why I want to talk about, the, as I say tonight, is a building block of, of what we're going to be looking at in more details. But the role of preparation is so very important to have the kind of home that God desires that we have. I want to ask you, the question. See, I'm, I'm glad that we have tonight a number of young people. I'm glad you're here for whatever age you are. But um, there are those that are not married yet. There are a number of folks that are not married yet. And so I'm especially glad for you to give me your attention 
this evening. I want to raise the question, what are you attracted to? Let me suggest to you some interesting wisdom from the Proverbs. Such, such a, the Proverbs use so many word pictures. That helps us to, to grasp the thought that the inspired writer has in mind. And one of those that to me is quite illustrative is Proverbs 11 and verse 22. Remember what that says? It, it speaks of a, a ring of gold and a swine snout. So is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Now, Linda and I were up in uh, Maine a couple of years ago, and uh, they had asked me to speak on the subject of the home up there and one of the congregations we were working with. Did I say Maine? I meant to say Canada. Canada is what I meant to say. We were in Maine too, but Canada is where I'm thinking of now. Anyway, up in Canada, and I, I raised the question. I said, now, do, you do know why they put rings in swine's noses, don't you? And their snout, you, you know why they do that. And I remember, very well remember a lady sitting there and she's just very involved and, and, and listening intently and she goes, no, she didn't know that. Well, I thought everybody knew that. But up in Canada, you know, she didn't know that. But the reason, if you don't know that, if you're from Canada tonight or wherever you're from and you don't know why they put those rings in the pig's noses, it's not because people are being mean and want to hear them squeal although they sure do squeal when they clamp that in their nose, is so they won't root up everything. There's a purpose for it. So they won't destroy the grounds. But you don't put a ring of gold there. Copper, some kind of metal, but not gold. It's just, it's just, it's just kind of inappropriate. I mean, can you imagine having a ring of gold in this swine snout? So what is his point? Well, his point is to say, you know, sometimes if you're just looking at outward beauty and that's all you're concerned about, and on the inside, there's, there's no holiness. On the inside, there's no spirituality. On the inside, there's no fear of the Lord, no spiritual interest. It's, it's like a, a swine with something very precious, and that's kind of misplaced. What, what good is it? And so you, you wouldn't, you, you say, well, that, that's ridiculous. And that's what the wise man Solomon is saying, that if, if, if there's a situation, and so many times that's exactly the situation, where there's outward beauty but no inward holiness, it's, he said it's like, a, it's like a, a ring of gold in a swine's snout. So what are you, what are you attracted to? You know, Proverbs, Proverbs 14 and verse 1 is a wonderful passage. It's, it's one that we had our daughter who now has four children of her own, memorized when she was just a little girl. Every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. On, in, on my wall in my office, there's a, there's a painting, but it's so detailed and it's so well done, it actually looks like a photograph. It's one that Linda purchased for me because she knew how precious this passage was to us. But in this, in this portrait, all it is is a Bible that's opened up and a pair of glasses folded up and put on the Bible. And that's, that's the photograph. Or I mean, that's the painting. It's not a photograph. But when you look at, at where it is, it's, in, it's featuring Proverbs 14 and verse 1. And so what this is saying, it's the individual responsibility that, that we have. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Have you ever seen somebody... They just destroyed their home. 
and they'd blame their in-laws. Or they'd blame somebody else. They'd, they'd blame, everybody's against us. The church didn't do its part. And, and, and what it says here, the foolish pulls it down with her hands, with her own hands. And so again, uh, what we, as, as we have a young people's class at home uh, year-round, except we take a break during the uh, holidays, I've asked the boys, sometimes we'll, we'll look at this passage, and I'll say, so do you want to marry a woman that's going to tear your house down? No, we don't do that. Well, see, that's what I'm talking about, preparation. What are you attracted to? Uh, if you're a young man, are you attracted to someone that, that would be like the proverbial swine with a ring in, in the snout? Uh, someone that will just tear your house down financially, spiritually? What are you attracted to? In Proverbs 31 and verse 27, here's a woman that looks well to the ways of her household, and a lot of good traits about this worthy woman, but the, the thing in verse 30 that's foundational to all of it is that the woman that fears the Lord, she will be praised. You see, it's her fear of the Lord that everything else she does is based upon. So, again, I'm asking the question, what are you attracted? What are you attracted to? Some years ago, Linda and I were visiting. We don't get to do that very often because, of course, of local responsibilities that we have. But we did have the, the occasion one time to do some visiting. And we sat in on a class, and I took notes. And it, it was a class of young people, uh, young adults. And it was really, it was really kind of enlightening. I, I really enjoyed the study, and the teacher obviously had good rapport with the folks because they were quite candid in their, in their answers. And he, he was saying, I want you girls to write down what you want in a date, in a boy you're dating. And then, on a, after you're done with that, then I want you to write down qualities you look for in a husband. And he asked the same thing of the young men. Now, the, one reason I'm sharing this with you is, I'm just sharing with you what they said. I wrote this down. I didn't make any of this up. These are their answers. This was a faithful congregation of, of young folks. And uh, they said, you know, the kind of car he drives is important. Drives an old, at the time, they, they said, for example, an old Oldsmobile station wagon, forget it. You know, somebody with a nice car. That, that's, and and they, they said, again, these are Christian girls. These were good girls. They said, well, somebody that will spend money on me. That's, you know, not some tightwad. So here's what I want in a date, the girl said. And again, this is, my, this is not my wording. Buddy, this is not my wording. But some of them said, you know, a, a hunk. Someone who's good looking. Again, not my wording, but they were saying a low bubba factor. <laughs> I wouldn't have come up with that. One who is quick-witted, you know. And something else that made the list was somebody that's athletic. Especially if he plays football. That gives them an edge. So here we go. Girls, tell me what you're interested in, uh, the kind of person you'd like to go out with on a date. That's their list. Okay? Same girls in that same class. Okay. Now think in terms, fast forward to when you're married. Give me a list. What are you looking for in a husband? Let's see if the, let's see if the list is the same. Okay, here you go. What girls look for in a mate. When I marry now, now when I marry someone, I want my husband to be 
a good provider. I want my husband to be a good father for the children. I want my husband to be someone with maturity that will accept responsibility. And companionship is important to me. And the girl said, I, I want to marry someone with understanding, sensitivity, someone who is mannerly. And again, it's not my list, it's theirs. They, they said, I, I, I want someone that will remember special days. Someone that is considerate, and they, they specified someone that is a Christian. Now actually, when you look at that, that is a pretty good list, isn't it? That's not a bad list. But I want to ask you, is that the same qualities that we were reading about the date? Is the list the same? Are the priorities the same? And if they're not the same, I'm asking, can you see any problem with them not being the same? Are you likely to just especially look for those qualities that are so important in a date, but then you put all that aside, and then when you marry, it's just going someone who's a Christian, someone who is mature, but you're not saying you want to date that kind of person. You're not saying it's important to you that you, that you build a relationship with this kind of person. So you're going to marry someone that you date ordinarily. Well, let's see how the boys did. Let's see, let's see how the boys fared on that. Okay, boys, give me your list now. What are you boys looking for in a date? Someone said, somebody that looks good. That's important. Good looks. But here, here I, here's one that I thought was interesting. It wasn't just someone that looks good, but it's someone that makes him look good. In other words, she looks so good that when she's with me, it makes me look good. So that's important to me. Okay, let's see what else. Again, it's not my wording, but some of the guys... And see, this is a compilation of what different ones were saying. It's not one person didn't give all these. It was just these are answers that were given. But anyway, one or more said, a bubbly personality. And again, on, on the list, they someone that's popular at school. That's important to me. And again, one or more said, because it made the list, someone who dresses in the latest fashion. Okay, so... You're a Christian young man, you're eligible, you're dating, and so you're like, you're, like, you're like the friend I was talking about earlier. You're saying, you know, the thing that I want more than anything else is a good Christian home. You're saying the right thing, but now here's what you're doing. Have you ever noticed the difference? Sometimes there's a difference between what people say and what people do. People can talk and have platitudes about what they want to do and what the plan is and we're going to get this going and... and have all kinds of resolves. But if we don't follow through, that's not worth much. So I want a good Christian home, but here's what is important now. It's, for the short term, here's what I want, but now on down the road when I marry, okay, what do you want when you marry? Okay, here's the boy's answer. Companionship. Someone said, someone that will be a good mother for the children. Someone said, uh, maturity. Someone that will accept responsibility. Oh, now we're interested in somebody mature. Okay. And someone that's not flirtatious with other men. Now over here when I'm dating her, that's all, you know, maybe I was attracted because she's flirtatious. But now you stop that as soon as we get married. Don't, don't do that anymore. And here again, this is, this is the list the young man came up with. Someone that's a good homemaker. Neat hospitable. We can have people over. 
and somebody that will help me that will not wreck me financially. And also the boys were saying, someone that's a Christian. I want to say again, that is a good list. It's a good list on who they're saying they want to marry. But when you're dating, if this goes out the window, and it's all that stuff about a good time and good looks and bubbly personality and how she dresses uh, with fashion and all those things, you're not going to get here with those other things having priority when when one is eligible for dating. Because what will happen is emotions take over. Emotional involvement, commitment, investment in time, and then, you know, you, you, you're at that point, well, you know, uh, I can change him, you know, if, there, if, there, if there's a problem here, or, you know, that, yeah, I see some issues here, but we'll work those things out. And uh, the person you marry, you don't want to look at your marriage as being a reformatory school. Uh, the one you, you, you're dating and then you marry, that's more than likely what's, what you're going to continue to have. Well, I think that's worthwhile to talk about preparation in just in terms of what are you what are you looking for. But really, when I think in terms of having the home as God would have it, we could look at passages just like Ephesians five or Colossians three or First Timothy, uh, oh, I meant uh, Titus chapter two or First Peter three passages like that that I've cited that are dealing specifically with homes, with husbands, wives, with parents and children. And we, we would learn a lot, and in the course of the study, those will be included. But really, when I'm talking about the home as God would have it, it's, it's a package deal. You don't compartmentalize your relationship with the Lord. And, and that's why I'm starting out at this point by saying that what produces Christians makes good husbands. What makes a good Christian makes a good wife, makes a good parent, and makes for good children. In other words, fundamental to everything is commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite Old Testament passages to illustrate commitment is found in 2 Samuel 23. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. I'm just going to summarize. This is actually appendix material. It's not in chronological order. But 2 Chronicles 23 looks back early on to a time when the Philistines were still a threat. They had the upper hand, and David was shut up at the stronghold in Adullam, and the Philistines had a garrison in Bethlehem. Now, if you know your Bible geography, the Philistines were a coastal people. Bethlehem was in the hill country of Judea. It's just six miles south of Jerusalem. They're way out of their territory and way into Israel's territory at the time it's talking about. I've been to um, Adullam. I've been to the cave of Adullam. And it's 12 miles from there to Bethlehem. So David's in the cave. He's in the cave with his men. And he's, he can't, he, he's shut up there because the Philistines are, are where they are. And he just says this. He says, oh, that someone would give me to drink of the water from the well by the gate at Bethlehem. He, he just... Wouldn't that hit the spot now? Oh, I would love to have some water from, from, from that location. Not at all commanding that somebody do it. But three of his mighty men left the cave. They went all that 12 miles to Bethlehem. The text says that they broke through the host of the Philistines. 
They drew the water. They made their way back to the cave and said, here's your water. David couldn't drink it. He poured it out as a drink offering to the Lord. He said, these men have hazarded their lives to, to do this. And how do you explain that? Those men loved David so much. They would die for David just to know his will. They were so committed to David. He didn't have to say, go get me that water. I command you to do that. David wants some water. And so here they, they go to, to do his bidding or, or just what, what he would like to have. That kind of commitment to Christ. Where we love him so much, we're just so eager to do his bidding. Jesus himself said in John 4 verse 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. He lived to do the Father's will. And I'm talking about that kind of, of commitment. I know there's always the danger of using, overdoing it with personal illustrations, and I'll sure try not to do that. Uh, our daughter, Alicia, she's Noel's mother. The Alicia and Wes have four children now. But way back in the day, early on, early on before they married, they had been dating for some time. That's another story. I told Alicia, I said, I'm sure that you would not consider marrying someone that is not a Christian. And I've liked some of the guys you have dated. But I said, I said I, I'm not telling you to date Wes, but I said, I like Wes. I said, I've, I've seen how respectful he is to his parents. I said, first of all, he's a Christian, but he's respectful to his parents. He's not afraid of hard work. He just has qualities I think you should look for. And I still remember her rolling her eyes. Oh, Dad. She said, now, now we're friends. I like him. You know, I like him as a friend, but I could never think of him like that as a boyfriend. I could never do that. I said, well, okay. Uh, I said, y'all just be friends. And when it comes time to marry, marry your best friend. So they began to date. And they became real good friends. So anyway, one day he came by the house. And he said, before I ask your daughter, I would like to ask you for the honor of asking her hand in marriage. And I said, sit down, son. <laughs> so I'm not going to re rehearse the 30-minute answer that I gave him. But I'm, I'll just give you the bullet points. And what I said is that a lot of girls, if you were to ask what do you want in a husband? They might say, I want someone that loves me more than anything else in the world. But I said, I don't want you to love Alicia more than anything else in the world. I want you to love the Lord more than anything else in the world. And if you'll do that, you'll be the best kind of husband for her that she could possibly have. So, of course, that was with our blessing. And we have been blessed by Wes and Alicia and their children. But I believe that's right. And the commitment to the Lord. You get that right, and other good things are going to follow. You don't get that right, and it's not going to work out right. So, the home is God would have it. it. Commitment to Christ is an absolutely essential ingredient. And when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, and you read about the wonderful qualities that love has, one of the things mentioned is, love seeketh not its own. Love is... 
is reaching out. Love is concerned about what is best for others. It's not, it's not seeking its own. Love is unselfish. And unselfish, unconditional love. To love the wife of your youth. To bring cheer to her, as Deuteronomy 24 and verse 25 says. Colossians 3 and verse 19 says, Love your wives and be not bitter against them. Do you know that there's never a warning in the Scripture that is put there for nothing? I don't know if any of you have heard about my good friend Lonnie Oldag. He lives um, in Hackleburg, Alabama. Not many people know where Hackleburg is on the west side of the state. When, when he and Amanda acquired their new house, Linda and I paid them a visit. They live, they live at the end of a long lane after you turn off the road. So our first visit there, we pulled up, and there's a big sign nailed to a big tree, and it said, Beware of Dog. Now, I'm not, I'm not really afraid of dogs, but on the other hand, I don't want to be bitten by one. So, and I especially don't like the sneaky kind that don't bark and kind of, you know, just kind of come up from nowhere, and, and here they clinch right into you. So I take signs like that seriously. If someone has one posted, Beware of Dog. So when he came to the door... Before I said, how you doing? I like your place or anything like that. I said, where's your dog? And he said, we don't have a dog. I said, but your sign. It says, beware of dog. He said, that's not our sign. He said, that was the sign of the owner that lived here before we moved here. And I just haven't taken it down yet. But that was his sign. We don't have a dog. Well, okay. That's, that's all right. But I thought about how that in Scripture, you never have that. You never have a beware of this, watch out for this, any kind of warning that's there for nothing that turns out to be empty. Love your wives and be not bitter against them. Why would you have a passage, be not bitter against them? The thing about it is that the very things that attract us to one another, as husband and wife, I mean, are differences. But the differences can be very frustrating. Things that are important to her may not be necessarily intuitively important to you. There are, there are some differences even in eyesight. Did you know that? Now, I'm not saying Linda's blind at night, but the spatial concept, you know, the, is just not there. There's, I don't know if it's a, the rods and cones and how that works out. But I have extremely good nighttime vision. She does not. And consequently, there can be a car, I mean a full mile up ahead on the road, on a straightaway, coming toward us, a mile away. And so I pull out to pass a slowpoke, and she'll, hey, you're going to kill us. We're going to have a wreck. And I'm thinking, is she questioning my driving skills? The car is a mile down the road. How could we possibly have a wreck? And so I could stew about that, but, I, but then it, it, it occurs to me, bless her heart, she just can't see as well as I do. So I take that into account, and so I'm not bitter against her. You know, we laugh about things like that, but people go to counselors to work out problems, and they, they keep trying to get to, to what started this. Well, I, I read about this case where someone said, you know what, anybody knows you squeeze your toothpaste from the end. You know, continue to work it out that way. And I've told her that. I've told her that a lot of times. And he said, I went in there just recently and she squished it right in the middle. That woman's at it again. 
And, and so it just infuriated him that she was squeezing the toothpaste tube in the middle. Where would you like to go eat? Mm, I don't care. Now what you heard was, I don't care. That is not what she meant. When she said, I don't care, what she meant is, I want you to care enough to figure out where I want to go. Isn't that what she meant? That's what she meant. There are differences. And so you could say, well, why didn't she just tell me where she wanted to go and we'd be done with it? There, there are differences like that. Love your wives. Be not bitter against them. And if there should be something that causes discussion and there's anger, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't go to bed angry. Don't continue to carry a grudge over. I love 1 Peter 3.21. You husbands dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to the woman as unto the weaker vessel, as being joint heirs also of the grace of life, to the end that your prayers be not hindered. There's so much tonight that I'm seeking to lay the foundation for that in subsequent lessons we will consider. Let me see if I can go to the... There you go. First, in, in Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord build a house, they labor in vain who build it. Satan is active. Satan has been bound, but within, within his sphere he has a great deal of power. So many listen to his lies. He has many devices. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that no advantage be gained over us by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his devices. If you want to have a strong church, you've got to have strong homes. I've seen the difference when here an individual is converted, here's another single individual that's converted, and, and every soul is precious, and here's a student, here's, here's a widow, or here's a lady that her husband hates the church. And so here you have that group of people together, individuals together, and no homes interacting. I've seen that kind of work. And then I've seen a work where husband and wife are converted to the Lord. They're bringing up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I've seen the difference they can make in the church. And so there's so many ramifications of what we're talking about. But conversely... When the home is destroyed, if, if, as society seeks to redefine the home, as society calls evil good and good evil, you see what it's doing to our nation. You see what it's doing just generally, the destructive, all the destruction that's in the path of that kind of movement. And so that's why I think that the, that the church here is wise to select this. There are several things we could have talked about for this meeting. But to select this, I think, is indeed wise because we need to revisit all these passages and principles. And instead of having a spirit of defeatism, that, you know, you're just so much wickedness out there, the fact is that when the gospel came in the first century, there was all kinds of idolatry. There was all kinds of wickedness. And Paul was very confident, other inspired writers were very confident that we can have good homes in a wicked world. No matter what the world is doing, we can say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we should be confident Christians, not in ourselves, but in God. 
in his provisions that, that, yes, it's possible, no matter what the world is doing, for us to have our home as God would have it. I know, I know that's your interest. I know you care about these things. And for all of you that are not married yet, I will assure you, you're doing yourself the greatest favor to pay close attention to these passages and proceed to the future, building your life on these godly principles, these wise principles from God's Word. You've listened well tonight, and I appreciate that very much. There may be someone this evening that has not yet obeyed the gospel. Wouldn't it be wonderful to start out our first evening here by hearing that good confession and witnessing someone being baptized into Christ? There may be someone who is at that point, and we would love to assist you. Someone may need to come back to the Lord in repentance and prayer as an erring child. Again, if we can help you at all, make your way to the front, please, as together we stand and sing. I'm dressing on the upward way.